I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I always take you active through the pieces and say, I'm thinking of this. And I said, okay, I just have this odd duck. Please don't be upset. You don't have to try it on. But I have a funny feeling that there's something special about it. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take a shifty little beady eye over me. So he put it on. Oh my God, this is so good. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, our podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is so much going on in this show and we think it helps to talk it out. And the season has finished now, but we are dropping a number of bonus episodes in light of all of the Emmy nominations that The Handmaid's Tale has uh, captured for this year. And we're lucky to have a few of the Emmy nominees joining us for some bonus episodes. Now, I'm Fiona Williams and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS. And I'm joined by my friends, colleagues and fellow resistors. Natalie Hambly, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Heidi Island, channel manager of SBS On Demand. Hi. And Sana Kadar, host of All in the Mind for ABC Radio National. Hi. Hello. It's good to see you all once more back in the Zoom room. Uh, Emmy nominations were announced and Handmaid's received a record for the show. (laughs) Kind of. You've rounded up a bit, but um, it's a record number for the show. 21 all up. So many acting nominations. So many. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's incredible. All of the the rich detail has been picked up in a fantastic crop of nominations. And we're looking to drop some bonus episodes with Emmy nominees as we can scoop them up. And today, so excited, we've got the costume designer of The Handmaid's Tale Season 4, Deborah Hansen joining us. And I mean, she has been pre-warned that we go deep on <laughs> on the production details. So I do hope that she's got a fair bit of time up her sleeve because we've got a lot of questions. Yeah, here's our chance to just dive into all the fascinating details of a season that took us a lot out of Gilead this time. So, you know, for a costume designer to carry on those stories, um, I-, I can't wait to find out a bit more about how she how she embraced that. Yeah, this season was so rich because we got so many people moving into, you know, Canada and and beyond Gilead. So there was so much to explore with the wardrobe. Yeah. And, you know, Deborah Hansen and her team have been nominated in Best Costume Design. She won last year. You will absolutely know her work from Schitt's Creek. She was costume designer of that beautiful show. What a gift for a costume designer. Loved it. Moira Rose's outfits, David's jumpers. Everything in the blouse barn, even <laughs> so much. Um, so we we might chuck in a uh, Shit's Creek question there as well because we're huge fans of the show. But look, for all the super fans that we know, if you're listening to this show, you are of The Handmaid's Tale. Let's just dive right into our Zoom room with the nominee for Outstanding Fantasy Sci-Fi Costumes, Deborah Hansen, costume designer of The Handmaid's Tale. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? It's a little crazy day, so if I forget everything, anybody's saying, you know. <laughs> we'll put it in in post. Mm-hmm. That's what they do, isn't it? <laughs> Deborah Hansen, welcome to Eyes on Gilead and congratulations on your Emmy nomination for your work across this season of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, we know you're a past Emmy winner, of course, but <laughs> I'm sure all the Emmy nominations you uh, accumulate are special. We are so thrilled to have this chance to speak to you about your incredible work across this season. We do love to go deep on the colour theory and all of the delicious yeah character details and um, all the production nods to the subtext across this season, mm-hmm. so um, across this show. So I hope you've cleared off the rest of your night because we might fire off a oh. lot of questions at you. <laughs> all right, I'll no. try, I'll try. <laughs> Thank you. Um, look, season four of The Handmaid's Tale, we got to see so much more of the world outside of what we'd mostly seen of the ceremonial Gilead. What opportunities did that present for you when it came, came to the wardrobe? Uh, well, obviously, it would expand the possibilities, but it also became really an interesting challenge for me because I did not design uh, the previous seasons. Mm. And the question for me was how to maintain the respect 
and the continuity of such iconic costumes, uh, but to transition into a different world and still be totally connected, but also to push it towards a world that is going to go beyond season four. We knew that the season four was not going to be the finale. So I had to be very careful to be respectful, to have it make sense. Like we all look at this. I know it's supposed to be science fiction fantasy, but we kind of look at it as reality. I look at everything I do as this is real. So you couldn't really go too far out of the boundaries and yet you had to push that envelope a little bit. <clears throat> I had a lot of wonderful collaboration with Elizabeth, the production designer, who uh, I adored working with, and uh, Stuart Biddle, who the very first time I met him, I, I talked his ear off. I just went, <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. Tell me later. Um, he was incredible. And, of course, with Bruce Miller, who is uh, showrunner and head of the writing room. And then Lizzie, of course, in particular, had mm -hmm. feelings, and, and she was as an actor, but also as a director, on how this all should go. And like anything else that you do, you jump in with different ideas, you collaborate, you talk, you show swatches, you show colors, you show texture. And I draw, and I draw re realistically, especially on a show like this and one that I haven't been on. So that the drawings that I was doing of Lizzie, for instance, uh, as a prisoner, look like Lizzie. Uh, they look, it looks like her body. It looks like her expression. And so that people don't guess at, you know, like looking at a fashion drawing, which in translation could be much better than something I've done. But they can understand immediately who this is, what the character is, what the expression is, and whether I understand it or not, mm. you know, because the drawing and those designs is just a reflection of my thoughts about them. And it has to be in line with all those things that so many people have been pouring into my head and mixing around. And you were familiar with the show previously, obviously. How, um, how did you come to be on Handmaids with this season? Um, I'm known for my ability to collaborate and I'm respectful of other people's work. And, and I think they knew that I didn't know they wanted to meet me. And uh, we had quite an interesting interview. And at one point I said, well, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Why are you calling me? And they basically said that they needed some new creative input or that's what they wanted. And the show is exhausting um, Natalie Brofman, who designed the show last year, uh, the third season was fantastic. She's a talented, talented woman, and, and she was very helpful and, and informative to me, very, very kind. But what they were looking for, and she had another project, by the way, uh, that she wanted to do. It's also exciting. They wanted to have, I think, exactly the words that I spoke earlier. They had to deal with somebody who respected what had already been done and who didn't want to come in and throw their own creative stamp, bam, on it and wipe out anything that had been done previously or to alter it in a way that didn't um, make sense to the audience. I mean, the audience may not love what I did, not all of them, or they may not have seen some of the subtleties of it, or they may have, but they have to know that I understood the root of the changes and that I was going somewhere subtly in a kind of blended in, folded in recipe, right? That it was mixed together with what was already there and that I just became another ingredient in the journey. So that's what they said they wanted. And so that to me was incredibly challenging. It's what I wanted to do. I thought I could do that. I, I could try that um, <laughs> because it was an unusual thing to talk about is exactly your question to me. How do you transform? And, and I tried, and I hope if you are truly as careful and, and uh, attentive as watching, you'll see very subtle changes in people and then some obvious ones. So it's all derivative from the root of the society that had already been created. That's fantastic. And it takes so much more expertise to be able to do that than just kind of coming in and changing everything up. So, you know, we really appreciate it and noticed that. Your Emmy nomination is for the episode Nightshade. And we've got a few questions about that episode as well as the rest of the season. But um, one I wanted to start with, which was a detail or a couple of details that we really noticed was in that great charity fundraiser scene um, where we noticed Moira's uncharacteristic teal dress and uh, Rita's 
awkwardness in in her dress and that kind of right. um, handbag she was clutching. And I wonder if you could could tell us a little bit more about the thinking behind those outfits in this idea of the evolution of these characters through their costumes. I think Rita in particular was actually quite difficult. I think my first fitting with her, I wasn't happy with. We tried to figure out economically where she was. What did she have to spend? What would she spend it on? Not herself, (laughs) you know, maybe her Mm. basic upkeep. But also she must have been afraid and nervous leaving a world that as horrible as it was, was also somewhat secure for her. And wanting to be free and being initially terrified and uncomfortable in that. So initially I had, I I wasn't sure where to go and um, I talked to Amanda and uh, she was like, well, I went. And so I said, why don't we just uh, get a few things and we'll go in a couple of directions and see what happens and how you feel about it. So we did a bit of thrift Mm-hmm. shopping and putting things together. And I actually bought a few pieces, which are the ones she wound up wearing. And we altered them a little bit. We wanted a nod to her actual costumes, traditional costumes. And we wanted to get away from the color, but we didn't want her to be too bold. We didn't want her to expose parts of her body. But at mm-hmm. the same time, we wanted to have a sense of liberation and have it be something that was a little more attractive than she would normally have thought because all of that was always repressed and covered. So I wanted to push it forward. And it was trying to find that really, really, really subtle balance in her. And it was really good. So in, in the sense of the color became really important and we, we um, stressed over that and uh, we changed it a number of times ourselves. And uh, when I was happy with it and when she was happy, we push it on for, the approval from the writing room and the showrunner and they responded and they chose more than one. So then we came back and we refined what we were doing. What I wanted was somebody said she was uncomfortable. Is that correct? Was that you, Hattie? Yeah. She she was noticeably uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and she wanted that. And we tried to do that for her. Um, Whereas my first instinct, she was so dowdy in what I put her in really uh, the first idea was like, oh, well, she didn't want to show anything and she would make sure that she would grab that ugly sweater and that, you know, and hide. And I went, ah, we have to have something else. It has to be, she is a beautiful woman and there's something inside her that is coming out. So we have to see that. So that's how we proceeded in in that way. And I had a lot of support, you know, I had um, good direction and, and uh, good conversations. And that's the thing about design that I think a lot of people don't realize that if you're not collaborative, I feel you'll fail, you know, because you're not going to be again in that same river that everybody <laughs> else is going down. <laughs> but also you have to make, it's always communicating even if it's in contrast to what the rest of the people are, are expressing to you, mm. you have to watch the actor and what she showed in the fitting when we put the clothes you saw on was what I wanted to see. Mm. And, and she was so happy about it. And then when she performed those initial feelings that we talked about came out. Mm. That is so interesting. Um, I was actually wondering about the collaboration between the actor and you and and what sort of input they have into um, the costumes that they'll be wearing. And so you just touched on that with Amanda, but would you be able to talk a little bit more about that with the with the other cast members? Hmm. Well, it's very different for each one. So the first fitting that you have is my personal terror. <laughs> no, I, I, if I haven't met them before, I'm, I'm just like so apprehensive. Um, But basically, I just listen. And I listen to what everybody says to me. And I read the script and I listen to what it's saying to me. And I have a phone call. I have a phone call beforehand. And Joseph Fines was the most fascinating phone call. We talked for 45 minutes and it was completely abstract. I have no idea what we talked about. When I got (laughs) off the phone, I said to my assistant, Darcy, oh, I... I'm not sure what I'm doing. <laughs> it was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. But I got a feel for him. And I just sat back and listened. I got a feel for, for how he wanted to express himself within this character. 
So I, I went and started to play with some, I didn't draw him. I just, um, I just, I always put almost contradictory things together sometimes. And I always put kind of the safe things. And then I start looking and feeling. And, and after that bizarre conversation, which we continue to have for the entire season, by the way, <laughs> I was looking around for something else. And I saw this, like, there's this Canadian site called Farfetched and it has a lot of expensive clothing and and I was just relaxing my brain more than anything and just I looked and I saw this shirt and I thought oh it's it's making my senses kind of uh, twitter and <laughs> and I thought well isn't anything like he's had before but it to me it had this feeling of expression of what Joseph was saying to me and I thought well I'll just buy it and we just send it back you know, if he doesn't like it. And so I, I loved it when it came. And then I put something else that, that I had made because I had wanted this look for his pants. And I had my fantastic cutter, Michelle Prue, uh, work on that. And so I put it together and I just thought, oh, God, this is good. But it's definitely a transition. So I put it in the monk's a whole bunch of other things that we had. And so Joseph came in and you know, you always take your actor through the pieces and say, I'm thinking of this. And I said, okay, I just have this odd duck and I'm going to show it to you. And please don't be upset. You don't have to try it on if it really doesn't feel right to you, but I have a funny feeling that there's something special about it. And he's, Oh no, no, I'll try it on. I'll try it on. And he kind of, and I said, well, I'll show it to you. And he looked at it and he was like, (laughs) (laughs) and he just stood there for a while, which he does by the way, and looked at it. And then he turned around to me and said, I have to try this on. So he put it on and he just stood in front of the mirror for about 15 minutes. And then he turned around to me and said, Oh my God, this is so good. This is exactly what we (laughs) talked about. And I never would have thought this would be, the expression of that or that you would find that. And he said, we have to have it. We have to do it. And I said, uh, I'm going to have to push it through a few people, but he said, no, no, I'll do that. It's just perfect. It's perfect. And then he didn't want to try anything else on because we already had the very first thing. Oh, wow. So that's the long story of it, but he wanted a feeling of losing and getting softer and being more pure and almost internal, uh, And then we go back to it. So if you watch the whole series, we go into this and then slowly all these things happen at the pregnancy and and it switches back. And we also then had another abstract conversation at the end about what he would be wearing. And that's the the gray great coat. And I had one of my favorite tailors at the Stratford Festival here in Canada make it. And again, I thought, well, I'll just put it there. You know, but I think it's right. And so he came in and he did the same, had the same thing. And he did the most complimentary thing because he looked in the mirror for a long time and he turned around and he said, this is exactly what I imagined I wanted this character to wear. It's exactly it in every way, the shape, the color, the fit, the feeling of it, the weight of the fabric. He said, it's shocking, but this is what I dreamt of. Wow. So we, we all clapped. Oh, there was so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's sometimes it's these weird little design chances that you take and you have to be prepared to dump it in the garbage can. But I don't throw it in the garbage can. I always think, well, the actor may find it really interesting and intrigue them but you have to you know throw yourself out of out of the door and just let it happen or not and that's why there's always other alternatives there but there's something about if you listen to all these people talk to you and you start looking at you look at the past what the character has been doing you talk to the actor and not in like i would like a white shirt with three buttons that's a terrible conversation <laughs> um but when you talk about the heart and the transition and you know the past and the hopes for the future and you try to understand the human being that is the actor but also the human being is the actor playing another human being what what is that and so it's a path towards helping them that mm. my whole job is to help them do that and what i have to do or any good designer, I think, will tell you is to listen and then to let your own humanity kind of play with that. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, 
Uh, I'm being so abstract. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fascinating. But just going back to that first anecdote about Joseph Fiennes, um, where he first tried on that outfit and, and stood there and watched, which which scene was that outfit in where, that we were talking oh, about? Oh, goodness, you'd know that better than I. It's, it's, the, um, it's the dark green silk shirt that's really soft and the pant that's really draped. And there's no right. weight on it. There's no tailoring on it. And I think it's in episode one. And the jacket, is that the one we see him sort of wearing outside, especially towards the end? Yes. Is that the gray yeah, jacket? when you were yeah. killed, when he was killed, when you yes, saw him yeah. at the trial, yeah. and then he's killed in that. Yeah. We had to right. make it. Okay. Fascinating. <laughs> it's really fascinating hearing about your process. And I wanted to find out a little bit more about that in terms of, you know, it sounds like a lot of the clothes you get, you're finding and then tailoring, or do you, you know, are you making some yourself entirely or how does it work? I would say it's half and half. Um, Serena's were all made and uh, her dress when they were at the trial, her iconically colored dress mm. with a completely different shape when she was pregnant. And with him, both of them described the same thing to me. They wanted to walk out, you know, together as if they were Jackie and Jack mm. Kennedy, you know, mm. they yeah. wanted that kind of, you know, perfection of look and that they were going to be admired by all. You know who they yeah. who they respected, and if you look at them, it's all related to to uh, their past, but it's completely new at the same time. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know in Chicago, once you get to Canada, uh, we made some things, but not very much. But it was all of the great coats. Yeah, it's fifty fifty, I think. And but and that's a game you have to marry those right because uh, you can't have obvious clothes from well known designers or Zara mm. or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always still creating your own world that it fits into. This is so delicious. All these details, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you mentioned Serena. Across this season, particularly, you know, now she's outside of Gilead, the way she dressed in captivity but, you know, she was free in, in, a, in a way, all the billowy outfits, the choices, especially in the Nightshade episode, where she does dress up for Fred to try and manipulate him. Yeah. Serena, can we discuss her evolution in the outfits across this season? It's fascinating. Well, she, I don't, don't you think that she and, and is, is the most complex character? I don't mm. understand that woman. Yeah. You know? And <laughs> it's fantastic. You think, oh, there she is and she's gone. And then, boom, something happens and she's back. And it just makes me crazy how good she is um you know not that you know lizzie and june are not but you understand june you, to me you understand june you understand her journey you can see what she's not what she's thinking but you can see yeah. why she does things what her direction really is and with serena you have no idea because yeah. it fluctuates and changes and is so complex and i listened and i watched her scenes with Mr. Fines as well, right? And the two of them together, it's just what happened in that? What did that sentence trigger in? What we did try to do with Serena initially is to say she is stripping away all her normal codified clothes and she's looking for a comfort uh, and a purity because she sees herself that way, right? She she loves herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she does, and is and is starting to be at ease in a strange land, yeah. right? I think the pregnancy then just blew that right out of the water, and I think then the pregnancy became her new world, and so that that all of her clothes began to express that sense of beauty and like Madonna, like a Madonna. I felt that there was something in her that was so in awe of what had happened to her. All her dreams were in her womb and now they were. So that's where that came from. You know, the strictness of her Gilead clothing was gone. And I don't think she'll go back to that. You know, I don't know. (laughs) But I, I, if you look at what we did, she kept all the respect and all the rules that she had always had. Yet the clothing is softer. And of course it's because of the growing child. And she was always in contact with that and all of the fabrics. And I did this very, I mean, the, all the past clothes are in closets, right? So you can say, oh, I need this. I'm going to, you know, flashback or whatever. Mm. So 
I would go through all those fabrics, right? And just touch them until I knew them exactly. And then I would go out and buy my own and they were always softer, even though they have some of the same shapes and then it changes because she's pregnant in them. If you look, there's still a different kind of expression of freedom, I hope, in them. And even though she's in that incredible teal, if you look, my teals are a little softer, you know? And then we don't know what's going to happen to her because look what just happened. You know, I think she <laughs> she thought um, her world was going to expand and be beautiful. And I don't think it is. So that's what you talk about, but that's what we try to do. I think the best designers kind of go and try to connect what happened to them last week, what happened to the day before and do the now of it. And then we are lucky because we have the future, i.e. we have a few scripts ahead. So we, we know what the direction is going to be. So you can start tailoring your choices to that. That's really fascinating insights into Serena. And one thing that I always wonder, and I'm not sure if you have an answer for this one, but uh, who would Serena's style icon be? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Grace Kelly. <gasps> yeah. That's what I was thinking. Were you? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was literally in my head thinking yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Very clean, very mm-hmm. assured, stunningly beautiful, never overdone mm-hmm. and mysterious at the same time because it's mm-hmm. almost, she's almost untouchable, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I always feel. So yeah, that would be it. Love it. Well, yeah. let's, let's um, stay on Serena for a bit. I love what you said about the purity side of what she's looking for in clothing. And like one of the um, pivotal scenes this season was the confrontation between June and Serena when June went to meet up with her in her cell and she really got to say what she was thinking but they're dressed so differently and they look so differently and um, I was wondering if you'd be able to talk a bit about how you approached the characters and styling them for that for that Hmm. that massive scene I don't think that one was as difficult Serena is in like a white pajamas with a white robe and June was very casually dressed yeah um like tracksuit pants and sneakers. Yeah, yeah. I think I know. I we talked about that. I talked with Lizzie about June more than anything. In that, I think we already knew what we were going to do for Serena, and I think after that scene, you start to see a change in her as well. Everything starts to kind of instead of going forward, it starts going slightly back to Gilead. Whereas I think that June, we wanted it just in your face, you know look at me. I'm not in this red ceremonial robe, you know, that you've decided what women look like and how we behave. And I am relaxed and at home and I do with myself. I don't mean it. (laughs) Um, So I I think that that's, again, the comfort level of people and the expression of, of who they are, but it's also who they want to be. And I think you know, I've always thought that June just wants to be June and that's a, going there is finding an expression of who she's always been. Somebody who's comfortable and relaxed and approachable and is not really concerned about how other people perceive her own beauty. Whereas Serena is very aware of the power of her beauty. Mm. Yeah. So the clothes have to kind of reflect that without being like, Hopefully subtle is what I want to do. I don't, but those are my thoughts about it. Yeah, but I didn't talk to the women together. And that's an interesting thing that you brought up. I've talked to Serena about June and June about Serena and Lizzie and Yvonne, but I've never, I had a conversation with the two of them at the same time. Oh, wow. Mm, I've never realized that. That's true. And it makes sense, you know, Lizzie now, now Lizzie would know before she went to set what Yvonne was going to wear and would have an approval vote, right? Because she's an executive producer on the show. And she was great to work with because of that, you know, not just as an actor. She can separate herself. It's amazing. It's amazing. She has a real sense of distance when she needs it from her own character. And then two minutes later, she's June. But there's another person looking at it. And so... She was continually, um, she and I would talk about other characters and how she thought they should be expressed in the clothes without dictating, but just 
you know, I'd send questions or I send pictures and say, what do you think of this? Is it working? And she always had a really strong, educated insight and, and was a great help. So she knew what Yvonne was going to wear, but Yvonne never knew what Lizzie was going to wear. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, you know, I'm, you're making me think about it. What a kind of odd surprise it must be to other actors. Yeah. And hopefully they respond in the same way to, you know, that they understand that's the same person they've been dealing with for, you know, their imaginary life. Hmm. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, with, say, you, you know, you bring up June in Canada. Um, of course, we've seen a lot of the characters in flashbacks, so they're pre-Gilead looks. Um, yeah. And their style back then, then, of course, having the rigid dictates of Gilead, you know, they're defined by yeah. what they wear. How did you approach that then, dressing June and the other former handmaids, for instance, you know, how, how they expressed their trauma and their freedom in, in their outfits, just in approaching how they dressed in, in Canada this season? Um, I think the handmaids that are in Canada, hopefully all of them had a different approach to, yeah. to what they wore, but yeah. we did them as serious colour, right, as as in it's still dark, you know, it's still, and in, in its textures, there were a lot of coverings. Did you notice that? There were a lot of like, mm. even if it was just a zip hoodie or there was something that they could retreat into. Yeah. And that was really important that there's nothing. Again, that whole thing we talked about with Rita is depending on how old they were and how long they had been there and had been in Canada would be hopefully an expression or what I wanted was, uh, look at how relaxed and how self-confident they were. Regardless of the pain, it should be fading with the community that they are now in, you know. But at the same time, you carry that with you, right? You either totally reject it, you know, run around with your bra and your panties on downtown, you know, uh, <laughs> or you maintain some of the strict rules because you still haven't given up somebody else's dic dictate of who you are. Uh, as a woman in particular, right? Mm -hmm. And just slowly you become who you are. So n I hope to not codify the look. And at the same time, there was something similar about them all. And and I think that was it. It was being able to button up something, you know, so mm -hmm. never anything, you know, that you'd have to pull up or whatever. And some pants that were relaxed, and but not too tight. And, you know, just really simple things. And I don't think they want anybody to look at them. I, I really mm. did think that none of them are totally comfortable in this country yet. Mm. And so they don't want to be looked at. I think they're afraid of that, you know? So that was part of what I wanted to do with everybody in that scene. Mm. And, and that included June. Mm. Comfort, covering, a certain kind of freedom in the clothes, a certain ability to hide hide your body, you know, hide your thoughts, not be looked at, be able to move freely without being watched. I think that that was a big part. And I think most women can relate to a certain degree of that where, you know, we've all had the experience where we're just, you know, going out for a walk on a summer's day and, you know, people comment in, in a frightening way sometimes I'm, uh, when you're young. Uh, I know I've had that expression where a designer friend of mine in Montreal just she arrived at my apartment for to go out for coffee and was in a rage because she said, am I badly dressed? Am I evocative? Am I erotic? Am I, I'm just, I'm hot. It's a summer day. I've got a t-shirt and I've got a skirt on and there's two men hissing at me and I'm furious about it. Right. Mm. <clears throat> and, and so there, there is that that we go through. And I think when you look at what these women wear, a lot of us have had a negative experience yeah. with just the way we dress you know, or how we, what we do is interpreted. And I think they don't want that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not yet. They're not ready for it, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's why they're dressed like that. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I think those wonderful details didn't go unnoticed. Oh, good. good. <laughs> yeah. I've got a little bit of a, a technical question, particularly around the Gilead clothing and, and the way it looks so authentically grimy and worn in some situations. And I'm thinking of the Martha's outfits on the farm yeah. and the torture outfit that, that June wears and you yeah. know a lot of the yeah. other ones we see. It's no easy task. I mean, so much of television looks so inauthentically clean. And, and I just wonder how you go about designing wear and, and creating that look on screen. 
Oh, that's really kind of, I have, for one thing, I have a breakdown team. I have uh, on on Handmaids a beautiful (laughs) team of um, highly experienced breakdown artists who were great fun to work with and a young uh, apprentice one. So they do the breakdown under my guidance. Now, I will tell you that the Marthas are based on traditional working class women from the 19th century into the early 20th century, but they're also based on local Mennonite clothing. And I live in a Mennonite Mm. area in Mm. Southern Ontario, and I have a farm in Southern Ontario, and I keep my horses at a Mennonite barn. Mm -hmm. And so there's many, many levels to the orders, the old orders to modern Mennonite, but there are certain things about them. And so I took a look at all of that. And then I kept looking, of course, at the Marthas, because we call these the farm Marthas. And so I took the the existing colors that had already been established for them. And I just deepened some of them. And I changed the textures. And I put oil cloth aprons that could be broken down on them. And I had the clothes mended and then over mended and then over mended, because that's what women did in the evenings. They mended their clothes, uh, because it's the only thing they have. And they're working in the fields, but they're working with the animals. And I know what that looks like because I do it every weekend myself. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was easy for me to say it doesn't go there, you know. And if a horse pees and it hits cement and it splashes up on you, this is what it will look like because it happens. (laughs) You know, you put your horse in the cross ties and, you know, and if you fall... In the manure pile, this is what it looks like. (laughs) And they know it. I mean, you can also go and you can just send research photographs. So we broke them down. At one point, uh, the director wanted it to go further. And I thought, that's it's not realistic. And I, sorry, Dana, I wasn't very happy with that. And so we did samples of it. uh, And I said, take it as far as they want. And they come down and they approved it. And I said, don't do too much more and make sure everything you do is reversible at this point in time. And they came back a few days later and went, I think we might have gone too far because it's (laughs) changing your color palette. And I went, yeah, because there's just getting too many dark colors on something. Uh, The greens are changing to brown. So we washed them and and then attacked them again, but with much more confidence. So... Part of the breakdown, thank you for saying it was realistic because it's something that I know and observe and I can actually look at my own clothing for uh, to a certain extent. <laughs> and the, the head wraps were, they're medieval and they were something that was carried on for hundreds of years. Um, a particular wrap that you see in many paintings and you'll see them if you look at like coal workers in England, for instance, the women wore them there. You can actually see them in the ammunition factories in World War I. They're very similar, you know. So it's a traditional working woman's cover for their hair. And so we just did it in the colors from the Marthas and intensified them. And, uh, yeah, so that's how that happened. But I have a wonderful group of people that can do it, right? They know how to do it. <laughs> Breakdown artist is a career I've never heard yeah. of, but that's really fascinating. Really? Oh, it's mm. phenomenal. I mean, it's incredible what they can do and the recipes they have. And there's, they have whole forums yeah. and blogs themselves where they share how to make something look wet and how to, wow. um, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, it's amazing. And, and it's a, a science now, too, because they can't use chemicals that can harm anybody. We, we, they've mm-hmm. advanced, right? right? I'm using glycerin on a show that I'm doing now uh, for sweat, and we were, we're using a lot of it. And so we had to make sure that glycerin is absolutely non-toxic, you know, mm-hmm. or we would have had to change the formula, you know. And they're very rare. They're really good ones. They usually come from the theater, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people that now work in film have been either worked in theater or been taught by theater artists. And then they've expanded it into a whole film and television necessity, you know, the one, and the ones that are good are like gold. Hmm. Um, in two separate episodes this season, we were introduced to a new item, the, the prison torture smock. Can you talk through the design and sort of function and fabric of that? Um, yes. The fabric is a linen, which again, was often traditionally in many periods was the working dress for women, right? It was the under part. It was the slip. It was the simplest. And it's an underdress. 
at the same time as now we wear linen more out, but I mean, Mm -hmm. that didn't happen till very much until 1912, I think, Um, maybe earlier. But um, again, I kept looking at the simplicity of things that they could have and that linen has an incredible texture as well. So I wanted that. And it's very soft on the body. Do you know what I mean? You can see mm. the body move under linen depending on its weight. And I wanted that. I wanted everybody to know that there was a body underneath that and yet not be mm. able to see it. And it should look like a bit of a sack. Now, there are many, many versions that I drew of that. In fact, when I was looking for Fiona's, because I put them in archives, I came across the initial drawings that I did of that uniform. Oh, wow. A, it had to be made by... Martha's, right? The sewing Martha's, whoever made them. So it had to be really simple because they're not going to spend any time making these things. So they had to be incredibly simple. The fabric had to be strong and traditional. And yet I wanted the women to feel naked underneath Mm -hmm. it, which they were, Mm -hmm. so that they felt more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And the fabric, there's nothing. I mean, if you put a velvet on somebody, you're slightly protected. If you put a wool on somebody, there's Mm -hmm. a protection. If you put a silk, you know, or a linen, a thin linen on somebody, women don't feel protected. Mm-hmm. It's just, it can be ripped off, right? And I, we wanted to make sure that the dress really felt that their legs were exposed suddenly, right? That could, that had to be enough volume that that could be ripped or lifted or whatever they wanted to do to these women could happen. I think that Elizabeth and um, Stuart had done some drawings of the women going up on the parapet and the, the ones that got mm-hmm. thrown off. Um, mm-hmm. And they had a very strong light on it just visually, and I'm not sure what color they'd use. And we said, that's turmeric. It's like a turmeric color. What if we do that, that there are beacons, you know? And so I started dyeing the linen and I wanted it to look like natural dyes in the turmeric color. And then we needed a touch of red and then we needed a touch of the green to define who they were mm-hmm. because there's still a handmade who might be treated differently than a Martha and who were the men. So we looked at all of that and we did color tests with my uh, different fabrics that I had with the turmeric colors and how light or how dark we did it within set dressing. And so that's how that came about. Initially the collar of it, there was a kind of a high collar with a ring so that they could, you know, put it, a leather strap around it really easily and a yoke. And it just looked too complicated. I thought, no, 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 that's too sophisticated. They don't care that much, you know? So that's why that kind of really undergarment feeling came. Uh, And the turmeric became the kind of transitional color that we used quite often. You saw it on Lizzie uh, in her sweatshirt in Chicago. Yeah, that's Um, right. We all wondered about that. Yeah. Yeah. It became this kind of thematic color that came in and out. And I think for us, we never, (laughs) bizarre, we never kind of discussed why or what it was, but it was a change, right? It was a change for you to look at. And that change signified something, right? So uh, there she is being thrown into prison. She's going to fight for her life. And there that is that the fight is there and all those other women are doing the same thing that are in prison. Then we see her again in Canada and there's the fight again and there's that color. So there's a number of times that we used it. I think it came uh, as a French say as a paraza by chance. uh, And we all liked it. The other thing that, oh, I forgot to tell you about color (laughs) is that When I went up to meet Elizabeth for the first time and um, she had been working a few more weeks Uh, than I and I went into her office and she had all these color boards and things that she was thinking of for the farm and they were quite amazing and she had this picture of this peacock or it looked like a peacock but it was actually a turkey and (laughs) it it had somehow been colored and it was just gorgeous and I said that's what we're doing isn't it and she said yeah we'll have to mute it but I think so so she sent that down to me and every time you went in my door you know, for the first few months of the season was this great, big, beautiful turkey. And everybody thought, what is she doing? You know? And it was like, no, what are we doing? <laughs> I'm the production designer. It was really good. We had fun. 
That's amazing. Um, on, we didn't want to be a turkey. We didn't want to create a turkey, but we wanted this guy. <laughs> Headline, the turkey subtext okay. of okay. season four. <laughs> um, back on that, um, while we're on the torture episode, there's another character that we're introduced to who we just kept calling him the evil skivvy man, <laughs> um, the lieutenant who's introduced uh, in the banal beige skivvy um, can, can we just dig a little deeper into? No, that's what we wanted. Finality, you know. Yeah. We wanted him, you to initially think, oh, he's not so bad. We know who he is, and then he's just the most horrific person, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and uh, and the sweetest man you could ever meet, by the way, <laughs> as an actor. And because um, we were just talking about, there has to be something different about him, and we talked about him being like, you know, this nice dowdy accountant who just turns mm-hmm. out to be a you know, Jack the Ripper, you know, you know, that kind of, of a horrible, horrible person. And we thought the way to do it was just to be very, very simple and let the actor do it. But, you know, that there was that awful beige turtleneck for some reason to me. I don't know why that just makes me, it just gave me the creeps. I know. And so that it was just really find that kind of thing. that, And he, he was very surprised by it. And it was just a touch of, uh, something that was unexpected, and then he was unexpected. Does that make any? Yeah. I'm not being yeah, very good. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and we laughed and laughed and laughed at him. You know, when he was doing it, because it. And when I saw it in the cut, I was horrified by him, and mm. I thought, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm going to give that to Lizzie because Lizzie said to me, you know, Debbie, you know, think of him as this kind of dowdy, mousy accountant you know <laughs> sort of don't want to miss miss a lot of accountants but... <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get letters you're gonna get letters no i mean they're okay. just they're somebody fine. in the background who was mousy yeah. and and um not yeah. particularly important and just kind of watching everybody and then lashes out right mm. and is violent that was yeah. the thing you thought she'd finally found a friend and it wasn't going to be so bad right yeah and it was <laughs> horrific and that's how that happened, you know, yeah. just finding the expression of that. And and Lizzie was the one that said, oh, Deborah, don't do him like everybody else. Do something really soft and <laughs> give him a nice cashmere scarf when he was pushing people off the rampart. <laughs> I fear that we're all going to feel about Total Next Ray like differently now. <laughs> it's going to give us a chill. By <laughs> the right person. <laughs> I'm wearing one today. I know. <laughs> Uh, well, considering we're talking about men, let's continue with that for a moment. I'm kind of intrigued by, um, you know, we have Nick and Lawrence and Fred and they're all commanders, so they're all men of a certain stature. How do you make sort of subtle changes in their costumes to show their different personalities? Mm. I think Nick, uh, what did I, I changed him a bit this year. Basically, he wore the same thing all the time yeah. and it's from previous seasons except I had it retailored. We loved the tailoring. We made, we made many comments about the tailoring <laughs> of Nick's jackets this season. Yes, we're fans they were of different. Nick. Did you just kind of recognize it right away or did you? They just, they were beautifully fitted and tailored and structured is, is what we sort of got from it. Yeah, they were. Thank you very much. <laughs> it did. If you didn't like it, I'm sorry, but that was done intentionally. That's all we did with him really is we took what he had before and I said, I think we have to make it look better, sharper, mm. more have more clarity, have a, a little bit more sense of power because he has to use it and he has to be good at hiding himself. So, but in general, I started to tailor everything a little sharper, a little bit more organized, a little meaner, you know, and uh, we enjoyed that. But I'm, I'm really happy that you noticed it. I really am happy. That's a huge compliment. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad. Canadian girl. <laughs> and now I'll have to say it was Natalie as well. She was also very much loving the tailoring this season. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will tell my tailor, you know, that's great. I had two tailors, two of them, male and female. Hmm. So thinking of Lawrence, to not move away from the men just yet, he's quite a quirky, eccentric character. So how how can you let that show in terms of what he's wearing? I followed through on what had been done before. His clothing, to me, when I watched it just as you did, 
was so fantastic. And, and again, uh, to me, it, it really had a sense of mystery because it's all based on period clothing from the turn of the century. And all the cuts were that, even the, his waistcoats. They weren't like a modern vest. The fabrics were incredible. And I think and Crabtree in the first season had one that I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, She had this suit and then somebody had hand painted this tiny little pattern over the whole thing. I thought it was the fabric itself. And I thought, well, I'm going to use that again because, you know, that it was just extraordinary. And I didn't want to do that, but I wanted to continue along that theme with him. But I improved the tailoring on him as well. And just everything became a little sharper. Even if it was out of velvet, it really fit his body well. It wasn't as relaxed. And then... With him, who is he? What is he doing? You know, when is he powerful? When is he not powerful? That was the the big thing with him. And so his jackets. And then, of course, I have I have him in, in the new Gilead tailored greatcoat in black. And that, of course, is a period piece in itself now is what you would call it. That inspiration is from the Gestapo uh, in uh, 1944, I think it was. So that tailoring and that shape came for that. And then I altered it so it wasn't a copy. And I made it for him, the best one he wears. Because you, you as the audience, you get it all in a, in a visceral way, I hope. You can see the connections if you're a history freak. But if you don't, that's okay too, because you should get it in what those represent, right? The gray one on Joseph Fiennes, again, and that's from an Italian World War II uniform. And again, I changed the tailoring, but the that's where the inspiration comes from. And if you think of the Italians, I mean, they were fascists as well, but they also had this amazing sense of style, which the Germans did as well. So I wanted that kind of fearful thing that people would recognize. Why were those uniforms so powerful and scary at the same time? So I picked and prodded all of that in the in the tailoring of it to make you remember that somewhere in the back of your head without recognizing it immediately. Yeah. yeah. So, and he wears soft, you notice him, he wears soft and, and hard all the time because which way is he going to go? He hasn't even made his mind up. He's always... You know, it's like, what is he doing now? Is he bad? Is he good? Is he helpful? Is he going to kill her? You know, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I'm going to get killed. He thinks at one point, no, I'm not going to get killed. I'm getting power again. I'm going to grab, 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 <laughs> grab, grab that. You know, so I think that's what his clothing is about. And I think if you think of longevity, that's what he's looking for. So in a way, it's like I was in the past and I'm in the present and I'm going to be in the future. And I think that's, for me, the line of his clothes. It starts in a period that and then evolves and it goes into this. And now I don't know what it's going to be. Hmm. I don't have a clue. Oof, we can't wait to find it. <laughs> um, one pivotal, you know, moment in costuming and in the season, um, June's testimony, um, you know, that, that mm. incredible scene, one take. You know, June got to have, make her testimony before the world and before her abusers. What thinking went into what would she wear for that for that momentous moment? <laughs> I think we were all looking for a simplicity, yep. right? We wanted it to be simplicity in the way the focus had to be on her and on nothing else, yep. you know? Had to be on the, her shoulders and her head and who cares about anything else? It just can't be distracting. Yep. And Lizzie actually found that dress and sent it to me. And I said, I think we should try it. We had a few other things, but we never bothered after we saw it because it had nothing. It was just a beautiful, stunning fit in a fabric that held her in, right? There was nothing flowing about that. There was nothing, you know, it was just, I am held in. And and actually the fabric itself has more than a stretch. It has, it's an unusual modern uh, synthetic that just had a thickness. And so when you see her, that's all you see, right? That's what I loved about it. You know, Stuart went in with his fantastic camera and there's that beautiful face and that expressive mind and that amazing deep character. And the dress just didn't get in the way. Mm. And that's unusual, right? To, to find that. And that is Lizzie looking for it and me looking for it. And Lizzie found it. And I said, yes, that's the one, you know, and so that happened. And that was in there. I, we had that for quite a while. 
before we shot it. It was just put away in her, her closet until, you know, and, and the, you know, the other thing person that's involved in that in a way is, is uh, Stuart, the DOP, because he talked about what he wanted to do and what he wanted that shot to look like. And he talked about that with Lizzie and I overheard it. And so <laughs> I, I think he's the one that put it in our mind. Plus the whole scenic look of that. It took me ages to find the um, international court fabrics that were actually had the right weight and were the exact color. And they are a replica of those. Uh, and anybody else, it was done with such a lot of consideration, I think, for kind of the charcoals and the blacks and who had them in the pop of color. And then one of the things that I was afraid about was having it so dark on her. I mean, I had thought maybe we should make her the light, you know, and that went away very quickly, you know, because that's not <laughs> what it's about. Um, so, yeah, that's how that came about. And it's a modern dress, mm. but it would fit in just about anywhere because of its absolute. And, you know, that simplicity is the most difficult thing to do well. And, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, that, that outfit is just so chic and, um, yeah, you're so right on that. We've, we've got a couple of sort of rapid fire questions we might just throw at you, just things we okay. thought about that. I'm um, trying to be. Yeah. Okay, okay. Were you responsible for those amazing baby Waterford outfits? Yes. <laughs> they were so good. <laughs> they were great. <laughs> Where do you imagine the Jezebel source their very shiny, sexy clothes from in the show? Are they just oh, leftovers me. from the before times? <laughs> try it. Try it. Try a website called Revolve. Oh right, right. Ooh. But for in the show though itself, like, what, do you imagine those are just leftover clothes from the before times? Oh no, no, no. I said, <laughs> um, I oh that we had so much fun doing those ladies. It was like so great. We wanted color that the camera would catch. We wanted a color that the shine. I imagine they were given to them by the men. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the whole premise yeah. of it, right? Mm-hmm. So at one point you see a lot of, I don't know if it actually made the cut, I can't remember, but um, we had racks, clothing racks uh, of different outfits. And then you'd see a couple of women dressed in these and a couple of women lounging around, you know, um, reading magazines and, and in their underwear. So we assume that it's like the men said, I want a woman that wears this, or I want somebody who wears that, you know? Uh, and so the clothes is given to them. So they have to have the feeling of these are clothes that are giving the men sexual pleasure. Gross. <laughs> yes. But we wanted to do it in a classy way. It had to be classy this time. We, they did it trashy kind of one season, and I wanted to do it with more expense this time. It was beautiful. But thank you. Thank you. This is like candy to us. We're lapping up all of the details, that the rich details that we we obsess over. It. It's so fascinating to hear, hear how well, that's I'm all come amazed. to life. I am amazed at, at how incredibly accurate your perceptions are, um, especially the tailoring. I mean, I'm so proud of the people that I work with, you know, and, um, uh, and they're remarkable and they, they come along with me. And it's all about communication, right? So you find people that you can communicate with. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just I just hope that some of these actors that I've worked with uh, will come along in my life again, you know, yeah. and so we can have more abstract. Feel free to name, to, like, name names there if you like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone in particular? <laughs> no, no, no. I just mean, in, I mean, I mean yeah. in the sense of the, the joy of working, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we haven't actually mentioned one thing that I would just love to say that um, massive fan of your work on Schitt's Creek, which was. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. um, that, that was another kettle, right? That was another <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I found it so fascinating that you said that um, dressing the handmaid, that they really didn't want to be seen, whereas it's such a contrast to um, dressing the Rose family who oh. very much want to be seen. Wanted to be seen. <laughs> um, I had so much fun in that show. And Catherine O'Hara is another one of those exceptionally brave, extraordinary women. And we'd have abstract conversations, but she could carry anything. We, we never took things away. We always said, that's oh, not enough. Let's put one more on, you know, but she <laughs> was so brave and so fun. I loved her, and she would, she would also say, I think we need another fitting, Deborah. <laughs> just, just because she missed us, right? When, when we had a stockpile of clothes for the shows, she would say, oh, I think I need something else. Just have me over for fitting. So she's amazing. Incredible. 
I love that show. And I'm so proud of it for a small Canadian production. We had no money. I mean, yeah, we were paid decently. I'm not saying that, but my budget was, sorry, was just... Well, they looked very expensive. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's the internet. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's me bargaining on eBay. And, and um, you know, I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and days at auctions, at clothing auctions and uh, secondhand stores and consignment stores and mm. shipping. I mean, trying to get things shipped from and this guy in Russia. I needed a pair that he, he had to pant <laughs> that I knew would be right for Dan and he had only so many days to get it shipped from Russia and he did it. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it It came like, you know, hours before we needed it, but it was really fun. And, but it, you know, it was a lot of work at the same time, you know, it didn't come easily that. And, um, but I'm so it's a message for the world, right. was fantastic. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, truly. Where are those outfits now? Where do, where do they go after they've been? <laughs> a lot of charity. No, Dan archived, you know, he saw it as, A, it belongs to his production company, but uh, he really thought that some of it had to be archived. And then he auctioned off quite a bit of it. And then he, he's, they sold some and it actually made two and three times the amount of money than what I paid wow. for oh, wow. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> each piece. But I had one piece, for instance, that... Um, Somebody asked me, called me and said, do you have anything from Schitt's Creek that you could auction off for this particular charity? And I said, no, we, it's all gone. I mean, it was all gone. And then I thought, no, no, no. In my kit, I have a piece of my own that she wore. And I think I have a photograph of it. And she wore it on the cabaret. And it was a little fake panther. So it was like a Cartier panther, only fake. And she wore it on her vest. And there were lots of pictures of it. So I took the picture and I said, would you like this? Because... You know, I don't think you'll get very much for it. I paid $75 for it and it made $6,000. Wow. Really? For charity. For charity. That's great. But Dan did that as well. He gave a whole bunch of things to um, my assistant who was in contact with a fan in Australia. And we sent it over there at their cost and they auctioned it off. And I believe they made over, and it was the real junk. Mm. It was terrible. Uh, And I was like, you know, and Dash says, it's not broken. It's fine. <laughs> he said, they want it. We'll give it to them. So, uh, and I think they made over $10,000 wow. for charity. Yeah. Gosh, the power of that show went yeah. so far and wide. Yeah. Yeah, it did, didn't it? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah, it's so fun to talk to you as well. And I just would love to go to a thrift shop or an op shop with you. <laughs> you would be the best to just fossick through Have all the racks. <laughs> when the world opens up, absolutely, we'll take you up on that. <laughs> Call me yeah. another year after my five days in Memorial opens, and we'll talk about breakdown. Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. Intriguing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. I want to launch a podcast called The Breakdown Team. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new name. Um, look, thank you so much. You've been so generous with your You're time. You're very welcome. Real highlight. And best of luck for the Emmys. Yeah. Have a back-to-back thank win. Yeah. That was so exciting. And, I mean, how incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so pleased. And I'm so pleased that you don't think I failed you on season four. Oh, no. No way. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been such fun as well. We'll let you go. Have your night. You've had such a long You're day. You're welcome. You're also lovely and intelligent and observant. I love it. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Oh my gosh, so lovely. Well, look, so much in there, and yeah, we need to locate that scene about the shirt that, um, <laughs> that Joseph Fine was looking. I, was it in the scene maybe where Serena does don the heels and the skirt to go, and he says, um, "His baby's as much as yours." I think he was yeah, a little more right. loose in, in the way he was dressed then. Maybe speculating. Anyway, obviously, we now have to go and rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> season four, um, like we weren't going to anyway. Look, that that was incredible. And, you know, hopefully she has back-to-back Emmy wins come the big day. Yeah. I really loved her. She was so oh. interesting. Like mm-hmm. that connection between the turmeric of her yeah. torture outfit and her jumper, I hadn't made that before. And that that was really lovely to, yep. to hear. And all of the historical inspiration for the outfits I used to be someone that used to always like hoover up the like special features on the DVD, but we don't get that anymore. You know, so we don't get all those little details. And it's so great to be able to ask her those questions. 
Otherwise, yeah. I think we would miss a lot. Like we we try so hard to pick it up, but then we're never like we're not going to get everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we go straight to the source. This is what's so amazing about our jobs. <laughs> we get to do this. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's great to have things that you've kind of absorbed, articulated back to you in a way yes. that that really resonates. A lot of the things she said that were just clicking, like oh, of course, of course, but I hadn't really put it in words before. Mm. Yeah, agree. Well, thanks for listening. We hope that helped. I mean, it absolutely enhanced my appreciation of the season. And it's the first of what we hope will be more of these deep dives with um, some of the Emmy nominees. We've certainly got requests out there and and we hope to bring you more along this um, crucial period up to the Emmy Awards. Thank you, guys. I want to thank my co-hosts, Haiti Island, Natalie Hambly, Sana Kadar, and as ever, our audio expert, Jeremy Wilmot. And thank you for listening and to continue listening to us after we're out of uh, Fresh Handmaid's episodes this season. We love the way you respond to this show and we think you'll lap this one up with Deborah because, my God, the details in this one. But we'd love to know what you think. So do reach out on Twitter. You can find me at Anything But Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hambly. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. And Haiti, where can we find you? At Haiti Island. And use that hashtag, Eyes on Gilead. So, as I say, we hope to be back soon with more bonus episodes. But look, if you want to go back and rewatch season four of The Handmaid's Tale to pick up more of those rich costume details, you can stream the entire season as a box set at SBS On Demand. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time... Don't let the bastards grind you down. You don't own me. I'm not your property. So take your dirty buildings, thinking eyes off me. It's fantastic. You think, oh, there she is. And she's gone. <laughs>